welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, and especially welcome to all the the new listeners and folks that we met over at Mid Ohio this past week or last weekend. You mean welcome race fans? Well, yeah, there's that too. Because that's all I saw on signs all over the place. Not all of them. Not all the signs. Like ours. Yes. But before we get into all of that, I, something came up this morning in my Twitter feed. Oh, no. So, you know, I'm scrolling through, and, and one of the folks that I follow is former, well, I don't know if he's former, he, he, I guess reigning Formula One world champion Nico Rosberg. For sure. Yes, for sure. I follow him on Twitter. And he posted a picture a couple hours ago before we recorded this um, that, you know, he's sitting down to watch the MotoGP race that's going on somewhere in Europe. We don't follow MotoGP. I don't know. (laughs) Somewhere in the world there's a MotoGP race going on. He's got this picture of his big honking TV with the race starting off that he's settling in on it. And all I can say is like – uh, and all I could think of when I saw this picture was, okay, dude, you're a former Formula One world champion. You live in Monaco. You fly around the world on private jets and get paid and have gobs and gobs of money. Can't you afford an entertainment unit for your television set? It's like he's got this big honking TV. It's like sitting on what looks like... Um, an old milk crate and the stereo and the cable boxes are sitting on the floor next to it. Does it's he like, have dude. the spool? Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering. Is, is that his coffee table? Is a big um, electric cable spool? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it's not hip to have entertainment centers these days. But if it's not even like hung on the wall with, you know, the surround sound and such, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a matter of that since he... You know, being a race car driver, even though I, I believe he does have an engineering degree, maybe because he didn't get to live out the 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 college, the poor college bachelor days. He's trying to recreate it or something like that. But I mean, he's Don't got all his electronics sitting on the floor, and he's got a baby. <laughs> Don't you think his wife would be opposed to living out the poor bachelor days? Maybe this is out in his shed. I. I don't know. Maybe it's it's like this is the setup that she has kicked him out to and say, you want to watch that? You have to go do it like in the shed in the backyard. I, I don't know. But, well, actually, I thought they had like an apartment or something because I don't think anybody actually has a house in Monaco. Well, I mean, I, I would assume that he might have multiple abodes. Maybe. Maybe he wasn't in Monaco. Maybe he was going to visit one of his buddies' houses, and that's where he was. Oh, so you're saying he was slumming it? He was slumming it. Maybe he was slumming it at Lewis's house. Ooh. No, I doubt that. No? I'm pretty sure that that's not the case. Because <laughs> you could totally see Lewis having a big-ass TV on a milk crate, right? You could see that. <laughs> on the one hand, I could see Lewis Hamilton doing that, and on the other... I could see him having some kind of super sleek spaceship rising up from the credenza kind of <laughs> neon lights and all. Of the, I mean, I could see Lewis going either direction with that. True, true. There was once he po- Lewis posted a photo of um, one of the dogs, uh, one of the uh, bulldogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I don't remember which one of it, and saying that, you know, this was his favorite sight to see in the morning was this bulldog's face or whatever, his, his favorite thing. And all I could think of is I'm looking at that bed going, is that on a bed frame? Or is it just mattress on the floor? <laughs> oh, you, you weren't thinking the fact that, dude, it's a bulldog. Bulldogs are notorious for really smelly gas. So is that how they're waking you up every morning? No, I was more thinking oh. that he had to sleep through the snoring because oh, they're yeah, also notorious for snoring. <laughs> and given the fact that our dog sighs in her sleep, Bones um, and, yeah, I, I can't imagine what it's like to sleep with a snoring dog. But, you know, before we get into Formula One, this, As we have is, now dissed the houses. Yeah, dissed the living <laughs> arrangements for various drivers. Um, this is one of those three series shows. Actually, it's now officially four series. Because you mentioned Nico Rosberg watching MotoGP. Oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go through four, you've already heard one, different types of motorsports in one, in one one show actually we could potentially hit six if you think about it maybe five yeah it's possible because i don't think we're going to talk about pro mazda but we'll talk we we might talk about usf 2000 yeah well let's just hold on to our hats and see if we can keep a scorecard to see how many different series motor sports series we can mention in one show so let's go back to indy and, and IndyCar and Mid-Ohio. First off, um, we have to mention one of our new friends. And, and the way he introduced himself. as we Totally thought I was being punked. Sitting. So, so uh, if you've been following our, our Facebook feed, because that's where stuff went up. Because I think somebody needs to give me the keys to the Twitter account. I, I, I you, tweeted. I used the Twitter. I, I, yeah, one or two things. I, I think maybe you need to give me the keys to the Twitter account. Um, I'll give you the keys to the Twitter account. But if you saw, if you were checking out our Facebook feed and, and seeing all the stuff that was going on, because that's really where we had the best connectivity, or at least where I had the best connectivity, um, you saw that much like the race teams, the Bloke and the Bird Show, for the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio had, had a motorhome. We did. We had our own motorhome, and we had a prime, prime location. We actually did. Um, not only were we in a really good spot for uh, closeness to the carousel, which is a very famous corner at Mid-Ohio, mm -hmm. we also were adjacent to team members. We were. We're like our sure neighbor. Was, yeah, we're not sure who it was who was next to us. But he was one of the NTT data team members. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously high-ranking enough to gain the uber ginormous bus-like motorhome. <laughs> <laughs> and he would be outside. Not that we were stalking, but we were totally stalking. Um, <laughs> but he'd go outside to cook dinner like late when hopefully nobody else was around, I'm thinking, so that people wouldn't bother him. Um, and we totally wanted to open our window and go, hi-ho, neighbor. <laughs> Yeah. But we didn't. We barely embarrassed ourselves in front of him. But, you know, one of the great things about uh, camping out at the track is the people watching. Oh, yes. So one evening we're sitting outside. And, and, and again, if you saw over on Facebook, we had the ba It was a whole new logo for the show, too. Nice look looking logo. We may have to look to incorporate it into more areas, by the way. You're welcome. But our crack design team did that. Our crack design team. Um we had the banner up for the show, and we're sitting outside the uh, the motorhome, um, 
partially being social, partially being antisocial, watching <laughs> videos on our iPads. And gentleman walks around after walking by, and we were watching him talk to some folks in an interesting bus. Yeah. Um, admiring his dog. Mm-hmm. And, um, Which was a small Italian greyhound. Yes. Comes bebopping around our uh, the motorhome and, and goes, hey, I saw your banner. You guys doing a, a motorsport podcast. And, yeah, and we talked a little bit, and we're chatting about the, the show and some of the things that we do, at which point he goes, oh, by the way, and he reaches down to his hard pass, which he flips around because it was backwards, and he has a very different hard pass than anybody else <laughs> around and goes, oh, by the way, as he's flipping around his hard pass, and he goes, um, my name is Doug Bowles. I'm the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And we both looked at each other like we're about to get punked. <laughs> 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 kind of had to pick ourselves up off the floor at that point <laughs> um the good news is and i can safely report this um he is an incredibly nice guy yeah now th this is one of those areas that i'm not sure maybe the new formula one group um is better at and maybe they do go wandering around the campsites and introduce them to but I mean, he made a point of, of telling us that, you know, one of the things that he likes to do is he likes to go to the to these tracks and camp out with the fans and wander around and socialize and, and just chat. Mm -hmm. I mean, all around, really, really nice guy. Yep. Um, so, and then we found out that he has a Formula One connection. He has a couple of Formula One connections. Which one would hope, just from the standpoint of being the president of the Speedway. Yeah. But apparently, this adorable Italian greyhound is named Kimmy. Well, there's that. And it's definitely after Kimmy Raikkonen. There was yeah, some, I freely admitted that. <laughs> there was some connection about how they got the dog, but they got the dog about when he was about six years old from somebody else. And there was just this roundabout connection, but definitely named for Kimmy Raikkonen. And um, then the other thing that we, and we did not get to meet her, but he is married to Connor Daly from the IndyCar series, Mother. So he's stepdad to Connor Daly. So he's got this great, incredible connection there. And we saw him later going over with her to congratulate uh, Connor after the race, even though he didn't have the greatest of races. But it was really quite cool. He talked about us. He took pictures of our sign. Um, he's promised to, you know, help promote us. He did like our thank you tweet that I did in the Twitterverse um for him stopping by but that was just a super cool day kind of made our kind of made our evening well the other kind of tangential connection to formula one there though is connor daly's father is derek daly mm -hmm. derek daly did drive in formula one see there is a formula one connection um but that was really cool our location was a lot of fun People watching was off the charts fun. For the first time ever, we did a grid walk right before the race. Yeah, and, and that was going to bring me to, to the other thing. And yeah, they highlighted it quite a bit while we were at the track. But the level of access that IndyCar gives its fans of any level is just phenomenal. I mean... Even if you don't buy the passes, the annual passes that we have down in Mid-Ohio, which, which gives us its own level of access, 
if you just come to an IndyCar race and you decide that, you know, you want to take get the chance to wander through the paddock and you want to get on the grid and do all of that stuff for all of I want to say it's like 20 bucks you can add on the paddock access and the grid access to your pass mm-hmm. at mid-Ohio and the paddock access gets you down in the paddock dodging the various cars as they're being pushed around by the teams and dodging the drivers and the chance to look into the garages and and look down into the garages now that is a uniqueness that is at mid-ohio to have the balcony access above the garages they're open air you can get to watch them you can really get to see what they're doing that is a phenomenal piece and one of the things that we talked to doug bowles about is the access Mm -hmm. that is available with the indy series and the connection to fernando alonso which was really awesome because obviously he's met Fernando. We got to talk to him and and understand that even he was concerned, like we were, yeah. that Fernando, coming from the aloofness that is Formula One, wasn't going to take to the access very well. And how everybody in the IndyCar series was so pleased how Fernando just embraced it. He said that he embraced the fans. He embraced the access and the availability to all of the encouragement that comes from from the fans and frankly he also said point blank that he'd really think that Fernando coming to the series would be huge oh it would and be. it would be a good thing for the series and he would love to have that happen and I'd love to see Fernando have a rookie year so I mean I think that's all really cool well stuff. see that's the thing is I don't believe I think if he came back next year he wouldn't technically be a rookie yeah, I don't think so. But he, what is he now? He's like fourth in the series for rookies this year. Yeah, well, you know, I think there's really only one rookie that is driving the full season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's he's a rookie alongside Esteban Gutierrez. <laughs> <laughs> he... <laughs> which, by the way, we had multiple Esteban sightings, all of which were I... mine. <laughs> no, I saw him on the grid as he wandered by again it was as he goes by and you realize oh wait that's Esteban boom he's gone yeah and that was a lot of and even though we did spend a lot more time trying to learn the drivers on site this year over last year a lot of them you recognize as the, after they passed mm-hmm. um but we saw our buddy Alex um we saw our buddy Max we saw Esteban we saw all three of the formula one drivers that are now on the grid um we really had incredible access um i think it was alexander rossi's uh pit crew when we were down on the grid one of them you were taking a photo and the guy actually stopped so you could take a photo and i looked over at shooting video you were shooting video and i said no go on and do your job we'll do ours and he just got tickled by that concept of our job is to hinder and delay but you have a job to do and we're gonna let you do it yeah that that was also uh if you because we posted that video um that had an interesting little ending to that video so you have to go find that on the facebook page to see that one um the, the other thing that that really struck me about um, the grid walk and the experience of being on the grid it is you watch the Formula One grid and there's clumps of team personnel who, who are chatting with each other. There's the press that's in, in, intermingling between them and then the VIPs that are just kind of huddled together and wandering and playing tourists, but there's really no mixing. 
watching what was going on on the grid and fans walking up to the team strategist sitting on the wall and having chats with this team strategist and the mechanics about what strategy is going to be, what they're looking to do, and all the, the fact that the folks working for the teams were so open to, and willing to chat with the fans out there as they're trying to do all the prep and all the other race work. That, I thought, was really kind of fascinating. You know, I make this joke um, all the time. Like, we'll go to someplace that's super crowded, and, you know, it, it'll be Christmas, and you're in a retail store, and you're trying to get in and out, and there's going to be a line around the, the corner. And I make the joke to our family. I'm like, all right, everybody, you got to put on your patience pants. Mm-hmm. I am convinced that every pit crew person in IndyCar wears patience pants. They have to. Because, I mean, seriously, they were sweet and kind and it was things like the guy that stopped so that you could keep taking a Mm -hmm. video you were in the middle of your job your job is to get things out on the track we should be staying you know we should accept the fact that you walked through the video because you're working you're working (laughs) i'm not and it was just it was stunning to me that they would do that and they would look up at us like you know we would be walking towards them and quite frankly i wasn't the one that wanted I, i wanted to talk to them but I didn't want to interrupt, mm-hmm. and so you just you don't, and so they but they would they would perk up and look at you, and like, are you going to come say hi? Are you you know, do I need to prepare for the fact that you're going to interrupt me or something like that? But not in a mean way, and some of them were giggling at you because you took the picture of was it, uh, it was um, Sebastian Bourdais' car with Simon Pagano, Simon Pagano, one of those names, um, Simon Pagano's with the three helmets sitting on his back. Uh, yeah. The luggage rack. And you called it a luggage rack. And a couple of the guys, like, they giggled. <laughs> it was really cool. Now, the marshals were a little mean, but that's fine. Well, th- that's the, the one downside we have found to mid-Ohio in general, and especially on an IndyCar weekend, is that consistency is not their strong point. And <laughs> what some of the security folks and what some of the marshals and some of the track workers think are the rules – and what others think are the rules are not always the same thing. Correct. Especially even if you have the published rules of what they're supposed to be doing, not everybody's on the same page. Right. But <laughs> not everybody's doing the same thing at the same time. But no, it was a it was a cool experience. Glad I would I did that. We will be down on that grid walk again next mm-hmm. year. Um, we've completely refined how we approach Mid Ohio every year. Um, that we've done it. So going forward, I believe fervently that this will continue to morph into a better and better experience. I'm kind of getting to that point where I'm starting to want to go to a different race also. I don't want to give up Mid-Ohio. I love the fact it's in our backyard. But there's a couple others that are in our backyard adjacent. Well, the next closest is the the, uh, Chevy Duel in Detroit which is two different races over that one weekend um, on a street track as opposed to the road course. And then I think the next one from there would be Watkins Glen and then uh, Road America right. in terms of distance. So, I mean, I think that we, we need to start thinking about, you know, what makes good sense to start expanding the knowledge because one thing I can tell you is as much as I love Formula One and Formula One does have my heart, <laughs> IndyCar has has the access. You know, best comparison I can make is the two sports are like 
fine wines. Okay. One's white, one's red? No, no. You can pay a lot for a really good bottle of wine and really enjoy that bottle of wine. That's Formula One. You're not going to have it very often because it's expensive, but you're really going to enjoy it when you get the opportunity. IndyCart, you get to have more often um, because it's less expensive, but it's still a good bottle of wine. It's just probably not the top of the top shelf. But you okay. have it's, it's an accessible bottle of wine. It's the bottle of wine of the people. It's the people's wine. It, it, it's the Target box? It's not wine. even the Target box. Okay. It's like the eight ninety nine bottle of wine. <clears throat> Two buck chuck. No. No. <laughs> That's NASCAR. Ooh. Okay. And no, that would be three. <laughs> actually, no. I would think that would be Thunderbird. Ooh. Boone's Farm? Yeah. That would be NASCAR. Anyway. Back, okay. Dissing. Back to, to race weekend. You know, let's... Actually, before we even get into race weekend, we should mention the 2018 car for IndyCar. Because remember, IndyCar is it is a set aero design. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to an even more standardized platform for IndyCar for next year uh, with both Honda and Chevy essentially running the same aero packages. Before, I, th- there were some minor tweaks between the Hondas and the Chevy. Um, the 2018 super speedway version of the package actually hit the track um the week before mid ohio out in indianapolis um juan pablo montoya and another driver took it out there they were scheduled for two days worth of tests they only did one day now this wasn't because this wasn't a a honda it's all blown up and and we're (laughs) done with this flaming pile on the side of the speedway they hit every single one of their development targets on day one and we're like we don't know what else to do we, we <laughs> it's all done <laughs> um i gotta say something about what it looks like it looks really slick and and the same thing because we also saw while we were at mid ohio um the road course version uh of the the, the aero package was there also much cleaner than today's uh version a lot fewer wings and bits and these are cars that look much faster that car hit the track on tuesday at mid ohio which we didn't know that they were going to be testing otherwise we would have figured out a way to be there for that um again heard very positive feedback from the drivers i don't think they cut it short after um the the testing short but um very positive feedback all the the word is that the car is very well balanced in this configuration and the layout is very good and and some of the big reasons for doing this, but for making the car and the design so much cleaner. One is that they they recognize the fact that if you have too many aero bits on it, the cars can't race close together. Really? Because of the downwash on the cars in front of them. And too much aero isn't necessarily a good thing. They're getting aero from the underside of the car and generating the grip from down there. And the thought is that the wash won't be as bad when you're getting the aero from the underside as opposed to the top of the car. And the cars will race better. Oh, wait a minute. So the fans said we want to see better passing. We want to have the cars run closer to racing, better racing. We want to see the cars running closer together. 
and the response was not we're going to increase horsepower by five miles per hour cars faster and make it harder for them to race yes so whoa that's kind of weird the other reason for doing it though that indy did this was because this package once put into service and rolled out is actually cheaper than what is currently out there and the idea is they want more teams they want to encourage teams to move onto the grid so teams like yunkos who's down in usf 2000 and they want to encourage them and and yunkos ran a car in the indy 500 actually they may have run two in the indy 500 but it's to encourage some of these teams that are doing well in the lower formulas to possibly consider fielding a team for the season in indycar well, I think one of the things that IndyCar has that's an advantage and a disadvantage, almost in equal measures, is the fact that with the season being the way it is, they do allow teams to, like... Race some races. Some races. Mm-hmm. You don't have to commit to the whole calendar. So if, and I'm making up numbers because math needs to be easy, <laughs> if it was a thousand, if it was going to cost you a thousand dollars a race and you only had a five thousand dollar budget, you could race five races in Indy. If you had, if it cost you a thousand dollars a race to race in Formula One and you only had a five thousand dollar budget, you're out of luck because the expectation is that you race all 21 races. And that's a very fundamental difference because one of the things that you can do with Indy is if you do at least decently or moderately decently in your first year in the five races with your $5,000 budget, you might be able to get enough added sponsors to maybe get to 10 races the following year. And you grow by showing some level of success Mm -hmm. without having to commit to 21, in my example, $21,000 automatically off the books for which for three years, you're not going to see any results. So that's where the math helps IndyCar more than Formula One. And we're going to talk more about maths and money in a little bit. Oh, do I have to get my whiteboard out? And Is there a test? Possibly. Do I need to get a calculator? So let, now let, let's talk about the race, the Honda Indy 200. I, I will sum it up for you. The okay. whole race. The whole race. And you know this is like just about an hour-long show, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to get it in. So, Willpower has pole. Race starts. We get a couple laps into it. Um, He is unfortunately unable to hold the lead. He gets passed by, and I had the name. Joseph Newgarden. Thank you. Joseph Newgarden, who takes the lead. Um, Esteban Gutierrez gets yelled at by his pit crew because— Best radio of the entire race. Um, One for, I guess, coming in without warning them that he was coming in, um, and two for um, actually obeying blue flags like you do in Formula One. Um, (laughs) The cars kind of spaced themselves out, got themselves equally set, and Joseph Newgarden won the race. The end. There was a 10-second yellow— and Alexander Rossi had no fuel left, but he made it to the pits at the end of the race. The end. Which is now apparently a verb because he pulled a Rossi. Yeah. Which is now like the second or the third time he's arrived at the pits without any fuel. I, where I really think that there was 
some more exciting racing going on that weekend was over at the junior levels and the junior formulas. In particular, and, and we saw him race last year, Victor Franzoni, uh, this year uh, he is in USF 2000. Uh, we saw him last year in the Mazda Road to Indy. Um, they talked quite a bit about the Mazda Road to Indy series. It's it's actually a pretty big deal. And it is. It's kind of cool. Deal. And, and in terms of a, providing a true ladder and a true path into IndyCar, between Mazda Road to Indy, uh, USF 2000, and Indy Lights. The, it is truly designed to provide that path. And if you win the lower series, you are guaranteed a seat in the next year in the next series up, including in all the way up into IndyCar. And there's like scholarships as part of the winning piece mm -hmm. to help pay for that seat to come up. And every successive series is a faster car and a little bit different arrow, but it's progressive. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is to work your way up through the series. And so the best of the best and, you know, the, the announcers were very quick to also talk about, you know, you may be the top of USF 2000, but when you go to Indy Lights, you're now at the bottom of the rung. Yeah, you, you got you, you start all over again. Um, so the last race of the USF 2000 series, because they, they had two races that weekend, and that whole series has apparently been going back and forth between Victor Franzoni and another person. Some other guy. Um, and it's one of these, one wins and the other wins, and one wins and the other wins. And they've been going back and forth, and we were at the second race for, um, actually, I think, was it the second of three races? Because they had another race. Yeah. Um, but two of them fighting for the lead. Victor Franzoni struggling to, to pass and get ahead. And they get up into lap traffic and come up on Franzoni's teammate as they are coming into the carousel. We don't know if there were team orders. <laughs> we didn't necessarily hear anything over the radio because the radio channels were, were a bit garbled for that series. Um but they came up on Franzoni's teammate, and the guy he was battling the lead for went outside of Franzoni's teammate, who pulled a Rosberg. <laughs> Best way to describe it. Um, can, took the turn very wide and got wider as he went further out, and actually went so far out he, he ended up spinning. But he delayed the leader so much, Franzoni was able to take the lead in coming out of the carousel and won the race. <laughs> it was a very cool moment to see that happen right in front of us. I was going to say, and that one was right in front of us. Now, the, we don't know because we don't follow the lower series. We freely admit this. Um, we don't know a lot of the names that are coming up through those lower series. But these are names that probably become things that we'll talk about in future years. One of the complaints I have about our announcers is they never told us what car they drove. So yeah, it was, it was hard to tell which number, who was in what car. <laughs> and unlike IndyCar, it doesn't have the LED display to tell me who's in first. So I couldn't even, like, start to try to figure out who we're talking about. So they kept naming these people. Anthony Martin, that's who it was. Oh, yes, Martin. And um, so they were talking about these people, and I'm like, but I don't know what car that is. Until they started to describe what they were doing, then I kind of started to put it together. But there was one particular driver... That the announcers were very, very interested in talking about. Stingray Rob in the Pro Mazda series. 
Now, apparently, we should get this said right out. Um, Stingray is his name. Yes. Not his, a nickname. His name is Stingray Rob. It is not a nickname. And if you just call him Ray Rob, he gets upset. Yeah, because apparently you're not calling him by his name. Yeah. Um, he is apparently a very up-and-coming racer. He is not winning the Pro Mazda Series. Um, but but he did drive really he, well. He's driving very well. They What they said was, I believe this is his first year in Pro Mazda. Mm-hmm. And where he started to where he is now, he is making, he, his learning curve is very tight. Well, and he's doing very well. You know, I, I think we, saw, we watched two races that he was in. The first race, I freely admit, I was not particularly impressed by him. I didn't really see him move up at all. The second race... He was jumping positions left and right. He was pulling some really good passes. He was driving very aggressively. Um, didn't really see it in the first one, but in the second one, yeah, he definitely moved up from where he started. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be this really great up-and-coming person. Now, he's been driving since he was like nine years old. Mm-hmm. And the announcers all know him from you know watching him come up through karting in the, the junior, junior, junior series. And... So I find it very interesting, but because his name is so unusual, it seems like they talked about him incessantly. Oh yeah. Um, we got off the we got done with a race and got off the radios, and I looked over and I said, I think they are like in love with Stingray Rob. <laughs> Um, so I'm sure that Stingray was out walking through and saw our banner and is probably listening now. So we're gonna give a big thumbs up and wish him the best of luck as he rises to the series. <laughs> And if he's not, then our buddy Doug is going to tell him to start listening. Definitely. Because that's the way this works. Definitely. So, completely different direction. New series now. Away from from Mid-Ohio and IndyCar. What are we up to now in series count? Uh, Let's see. We talked about, well, we mentioned lights, although we didn't really talk about the lights races. So... Pro Mazda, USF, that's two. IndyCar's three. You brought up NASCAR, that's four already. <laughs> MotoGP, that's five. <laughs> and we're what? Into this show, and we have not really mentioned Formula One. Well, we have, but just to mock Nico Rosberg. Um, but no, we're going to talk about WEC. <laughs> there was a stunning announcement this past week. So before I get to the stunning announcement, little reminder of, of something that occurred uh, back in the fall. Uh, if you'll remember, last year, Audi had announced that they were leaving, uh, after dominating the series, they were leaving WEC and shifting their efforts to Formula E. And the fantastic video, it truly was, the fantastic video that uh, the Porsche WEC team put out to say farewell to Audi. Oh, that the, was... The, the burnout, because when... To, to welcome Porsche to uh, WEC, there was the video that Audi had put out of the, uh, the the car doing the burnout that said, welcome back in front of the Porsche headquarters. Mm-hmm. So Porsche, in response, and, and to say farewell to Audi did a riff on that video where basically somebody went out to the welcome back burnout track and scrubbed it off. So it just said, come back. 
Mike. <laughs> it yes. was it was a great video and a really great idea. It seems that uh, Porsche has decided that uh, maybe they don't want Audi back or they really miss Audi because Porsche this week announced that they are leaving WRC after winning this year and I believe last year as well, and they're going to Formula E. Well, basically what I think that happened was that Porsche said, if we can't win, if we can't compete against Audi, we're not competing anymore. And they picked up their tires and they went home. Well, to go along with this, Mercedes announced this this past week as well, or the week before IndyCar as well, that they were ending their longstanding efforts in DTM to go to Formula E. Wow. Jaguar's already in Formula E. Citroen's already in Formula E. Renault's already in Formula E. Even India's Mahindra is running in Formula E. Wow. You know, I mean, I think that's a testament considering, what was it, four years ago when Formula E was announced? People were like, this is a, this is not going anywhere. You know, yeah. nobody's going to care. And now we're getting big names going to the Formula E series. Um, could it possibly become a nice little feeder up through the process, considering they're all electrics, and they definitely have the advantage of being able to run in the cities? Well, the other question is, what does this do for the LMP1 class in WEC? Those are the crazy cars that Porsche and Audi and Toyota ran. I mean, these were the unrestricted, fast cars of the series. Mm -hmm. All that's left now, the only manufacturer in the LMP1 class is Toyota. That's it. How do you have a class and how do you have a series with one manufacturer? And, and it's not just one manufacturer. That's the team. Yeah, that's really rough. Because how do they, you know, you're not competing against anybody but yourself. And you can walk in the, the season and know I'm going to win and I'm going to lose. Yeah. So the theory as to why this has happened is all about cost. Oh, yeah. So to give you an idea, the estimate for Audi's efforts, and they ran turbo diesels for a while. They ran e-tron electrics, hybrids for a while. The estimate was that they spent nearly $250 million a year on that program. Porsche is rumored to be at about $200 million a year, and it's estimated that Toyota's, Toyota's program is $100 million a year. Now, to put that in comparison, and this is where we do a little back to Formula One for starters, Ferrari, their season in 2013 was an estimated budget of $470 million in Formula One. And that includes their hospitality. Okay. More than double the LMP1 series. And the LMP1 series is considered super expensive. Now, the smallest team, they can run about $44 million a year. The top IndyCar team, $15 million in 2013. Wow. Look at how huge those costs are. Formula E's annual budget is far below even IndyCar. CNN believes that teams had a $3.5 million annual spending cap for 2016. That's incredible. 
For the fifth, sixth, and seventh seasons of Formula E, which span from 2018 to 2021, the series runs from the fall of one year to the summer of the next. FIA regulations mandate that the price of any race car should not exceed 800,000 euros or $945,000. Wow. Less than 1% of what Ferrari spent on research, development, and manufacturing of its Formula One car in 2013. The $945,000 figure is the max price for the Formula E car ready to race, including the powertrain. Well, economics alone says that you have to go that direction. Yeah. But, you know, the question is, okay, 200000 or $200 million a year is enough to cause teams to pull out of Le Mans and WEC racing. With, we know Mercedes is spending well clear of $400 million a year, as is Red Bull, as is Ferrari. Now... I can't see Ferrari making a jump to electric cars anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think that they think that there's any value to that. But Mercedes is fielding a team. Right. But I think that the learnings that they could get off of fielding that team has a twofold benefit for them. Ready for my conspiracy theory? Mm-hmm. I believe that one of the things that we're going to see in the consumer side of Mercedes is them try to go up against Tesla. That may be part of it. The other part, though, is that as long as there are hybrid engines in Formula One, what goes on in Formula E is going to be of some interest because the way they can pull more efficiency and more power out of the electrical systems in Formula E, that should be able to tie over into Formula and that was part B of my thought process for why there's some efficiencies that they might be able to contain some between the two series. Mm-hmm. And it may help Mercedes more than it would help Ferrari to keep their singular focus because they could leverage what they're learning. Yeah. I think it's a, a big deal. But it does make me wonder what Le Mans going to look like next year. It, it does, and, and what is the future of that class? I mean, that is that was the craziest class. So Formula One. Yes. One of the things that Liberty has done, one of the many things that Liberty has done to de-Bernie the sport. <laughs> it's kind of like deboning, but not really. Ew. <laughs> that was wrong. Um, one of the things that, that Formula One group has done to de-Bernie the sport, though, is they actually went forward and offered the teams participating in the sport the opportunity to purchase approximately 19 million shares of Series C Formula One common stock. Okay. So um, buy a piece of your business. Yeah. They were offered the opportunity to invest at a per-share purchase price of $21.26 at the time of Liberty's acquisition of Delta Topco Limited, the parent company of Formula One, on January 23, 2017, and subject to a six-month investment process. Um, and again, Delta Topco was Bernie's holding company for the whole thing. Um, the approximately 19 million shares previously re- – well, they reserve 19 million shares – 
in order for them to do this. So would you care to guess how many teams took up Formula One group, took up the offer to buy into the sport? Well, naturally, since there's 10 teams that, you know, have a vested interest in the success of the sport, naturally all 10 of those teams purchased into having a vested interest in the strategy of the sport going forward, I would assume. Well, your estimate of the number of teams that invested is high. It's lower than that. Okay, well, okay, I can grant. Sauber doesn't have a lot of money. Um, I'm sure Forced India is still facing the financial stylings. And Red Bull might decide that Toro Rosso doesn't really need to be involved. So let's readjust. I actually do know the right answer, but I'm playing along for those at home. So let's readjust and say let's take the top four teams. Lower than that. Well, naturally, Ferrari, because of their legacy um, historical payments, Ferrari surely has a vested interest in the success of ongoing support in Formula One. Well, the number of teams that have that took up Formula One Group's offer was precisely zero. And why? Pray tell, did they not want to invest in the sport that loves them so much? It's an excellent question. <laughs> um it's a bit of a problem that we don't have an answer to that uh, the, the teams have not commented oh okay so we we really don't know now All, you did say that this was offered back in january right it, well it was a six-month investment window that they had so it opened in january and ended uh the end of july they, they had to act to, to exercise this at the end of july so the offer has been retired, um, but Formula One Group says it retains the right to offer future investment opportunities to Formula One teams. Um, Chase Carey says, we've been actively engaged with all teams to shape a shared vision for the sport that will create real value for all stakeholders. While the window for this particular investment opportunity has passed, we are pleased with the collaborative discussions we are having with the teams. Those discussions will take time, but we appreciate their receptivity towards further aligning our incentives for the long-term benefit of the sport. I think Ron Dennis was whispering in his ear. <laughs> He's no longer part of the whole Formula One thing. Remember, he sold all of his stuff. True, but anytime anybody is going with fuzzy language, He's Ron, Ron can't be that far away. Ron speak. Ron speak. Remember, it's Ron speak. Um, I wonder, and this is just my supposition, I wonder if one of the reasons why they did not choose to invest was that they didn't know what Liberty's real plans were going to look like, that it wasn't as sure a bet. And so they might not have wanted to I, help. I think that's some of it. Um, I, I think some is also that without the commercial deal in play, and, and I think that's going to be the next thing is, is – they may want to be able to use that as leverage around the commercial deal. Now, granted, not owning something may take some of that leverage away. I don't know. Yeah, um, interesting. But, you know, it's all about money. And the latest speculation has come out is that um, Aston Martin could field a team. We know they're at the engine meetings. Right. We know that, that they participated in some of that. 
Um, we know that there's been the tie-up with Red Bull on a road car and Adrian Newey on a road car. We know that they're sniffing around it. Well, the chairman of Aston actually has commented. Um, and it was, let me get his name because I don't have it right here, Andy Palmer. Um, what Andy had to say was, there's always that question, would you want to enter as a team? Our major competitor is Ferrari. So in that sense, there's a rationale in being involved in some way. But for a company that's only just moved to making a profit, we don't have the 350 to $400 million a year that you have to spend on F1. If, and it really is the big if, there is a cap put on the number of people or the amount of money that you can spend on developing a new engine, and it's at a reasonable level, we have a good reason to study it. At the moment, there are lots of options, and it's still morphing into whatever the final idea will be. Palmer says that the engine group talks are definitely going in the right way, but there's no clear consensus. Clearly, everybody accepts that you need more theater in F1. You need more noise. You don't want to restrict too much of the performance, but you have to bring the cost of entry down. I don't think there's anybody in the room that disagreed with that. But the debate is how. The FIA will say, why don't you remove this? And half the crowd will say, no, you can't do that. So the other thing that, that kind of muddies this is Aston has very strong links, not just with Red Bull, but with Cosworth. And we've already heard Cosworth is talking that maybe we want to come back again. We right. don't know. Um, Palmer said that there was no certainty that Aston and Cosworth would work together on any F1 project. He said, we obviously have a good relationship with Cosworth. And if you're trying to create a relationship which says Valkyrie F1, which they're, they're working, that's the project that they're working on, which, by the way, when you buy your 150,000-pound Aston, there's something in the bloodline, then obviously it makes sense to try and bring it all together. That doesn't mean we wouldn't consider, for example, uh, Ricardo, who's the supplier of the Valkyrie gearbox, who were at the meeting, or Ilmore, who were at the meeting. We were all listening. We've talked about what might be with various parties, but we haven't decided. Hopefully it will be clearer in September, and that will allow us to make a proper decision. Now, Palmer hopes that Aston will provide technical support if an F1 project does progress, rather than simply badge someone else's engine. I've never been a fan of just simple sponsorship. I always try to get some degree of authenticity, and the more authenticity, the better, really. Nice. So that says to me that there's some real interest here. That can probably more interest than what we saw last year with the rumors around Force Indy. I mean, or I two think, years ago. I think this would be a really cool thing. It would be really neat to get another um, name like Aston, like Kevin Cosworth, too, coming into Formula One. I think that's a, a, a great thing for the sport. And hopefully Liberty will help whatever they can do to help encourage that. Also sniffing around is uh, Mario Illin's engine development firm, Ilmore. They're looking to, to, see, to, to partner with somebody to work on, um, well, yeah, they're working, <laughs> they want to work w with somebody on an engine f after the new regulations are passed. Um, you may not be familiar with the name, but Ilmore was hired as a consultant to work with Renault when they were really struggling a couple of years ago with their turbo hybrid engine, they also worked very closely with Mercedes to help develop their engine many years ago. So they've got the experience. 
But in terms of a household name within Formula One and their own brand, they haven't done that before. But they're looking to, to keep their hands involved. Hmm. I you find know, it interesting. You know what I really find cool about these stories that you've found is that before Liberty took over, we talked a lot about how Bernie's... Um, chasing people away. Chasing people away. The, his extortion level fees mm-hmm. was making it not conducive for new entrants. He was so anti-new teams and so opposed. And it feels like, to me... That we're seeing the beginnings of breathing life into spawning new and change and yeah. people becoming excited again. And this isn't just deburning the sport, it's revitalizing the sport. Well, that that's one of the questions I have to ask is it, how much of this is a result, as much as we like to lay a lot at the feet of Bernie Eccleston, how much of this is truly bernie's fault and how much of it is a fault of um the fia and the decision to go with the v6 turbo turbo hybrid engines which is something that bernie was against and because we know that the cost of these engines are what drove away cosworth Mm -hmm. because cosworth couldn't afford and didn't think it was could not come up with a viable option to develop a v6 turbo hybrid so that's one of the things that I have to wonder is how much of this is truly Bernie's fault and how much of it is just the potential that the V6 turbo hybrids could go away and be replaced with a cheaper option. And I don't know. I agree with you. I don't know if we'll ever get to the the percentages of fault there. But we definitely know that Bernie's position on new teams – had has weight yeah to the way things worked so i mean i'm very anti-bernie we know that so i'm gonna lay more there um but i'm also gonna lay to the fact of the turbo hybrids yes it it caused issues but when you're unwilling to move on anything else that becomes that becomes the last straw. I think there were a lot of straws on that camel's back that made Cosworth go, okay, I'm done, than just the turbo hybrid. Potentially. I, I want to believe that. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, the, where, where I, I, I struggle with, with coming on one side or the other of that is truly we started following this sport just as Cosworth was getting out. True. So we don't know enough of that background for me to say one way or the other as to what it was. What we do know a lot of is the things that Bernie did towards the end that I don't think were conducive to growth in the sport. Yes, absolutely. And that's where I I lay that. Yes, you're right. We don't have some of the other history that might flesh it out and make it seem a little bit more balanced. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say somebody that was anti-growth sucked the growth out of Formula (laughs) One. Yeah. Now, we were talking, actually, we've we've mentioned it many times, how we didn't really see the logic in Monisha Keltenborn's decision to partner with Honda for 2018. Okay, wait. 
allow me to rephrase. Okay. We have spoken multiple times about how we don't see, did not see any logic in anything Monisha Keltenborg did. I won't Period. say anything. Full stop. I won't say anything. Let Many me things. remind you, four butts, two seats. <laughs> if I need to point out to anything else that she was not good for that team, four butts, two seats. We don't play musical chairs with seats in Formula One. Well, one of the rumors surrounding her departure from the team was that the folks at Longbow Financial were not particularly keen on the prospect of partnering with Honda. Oh, wait. You mean that they would have rather had last year's non-upgraded Ferrari engine than the possible flaming pile of non-working parts that is a Honda engine? No, I don't even think they particularly appreciated the let's take last year's non-upgradable Ferrari engine that was just kind of okay. I don't think they thought that that was a great idea either. But somehow that was a better choice than the flaming pile of parts that is a Honda engine. I, I don't know because remember different year decisions here. You know, one one was the decision going into twenty seventeen, and then the Honda was twenty eighteen. But but think about it. They didn't fire her for taking on Ferrari's non upgradable engine. They fired her for choosing the Honda flaming pile of parts. Well, I, I think that's what put her on notice was the decision <laughs> to stay with the Honda. Because I, I'm I only say this because of the timing of when the Longbow deal happened, and when the decision to take last year's mediocre Ferrari engine happened. Okay. That, that's the only reason why I say that. You think she was put on a performance plan when she chose the Ferrari engine uh-huh. and then it pushed it over the edge? Make, when she, make things work better. And she the, was decision, the decision to, to uh, partner and get the crappier engine than what you currently had was not in line with the goal <laughs> of make things better. All right, so... Let me take a wild guess. I'm going to use my Karnak skills here. You're about to tell me that Longbow has decided that they will not be going forward with a deal with Honda. Sauber team principal, Frederick Visser, came out before uh, the race in Hungary and said that it was very unfortunate that the team had to discontinue the planned collaboration with Honda. He says he wishes Honda the best, but that the decision was made for strategic reasons with the best intent for the future of the Sauber F1 team in mind. That sounds like we are politely telling you to take your flaming pile of parts and go elsewhere. We're enough of a joke as it is, thanks to Monisha <laughs> Keltenborn, and we do not wish to remain that way. You know, it, it was one, one of the, the struggles that we had down at Mid-Ohio, and I even oh. posted the comment up on Facebook, um, or was it on Twitter, that every time there was some kind of comment about Honda and performance, or just Honda in general, to not make some kind of snide comment, we failed pretty much universally on that. Pretty much. I don't think that the poor little girl that had to sell the Honda Performance, uh, what's their uh, engine development? Honda Honda Performance Division, HPD. HPD. Had a little bitty tent that was selling HPD 
um, merchandise, polos, um, you know, the basics. Just, I mean, it was... Okay, it looked like somebody rolled up their garage and had a few things that were logoed on this group yeah. of stuff. It was weird. Hon- Honda's setup at the track compared to last year was f- pretty low-keyed. I mean, last year they had all kinds of stuff. There were activities. There was the the two-seater indie car you could sit in. There was the crappy race simulator. With the bobbleheads. Yeah, with the bobbleheads. I mean, there, there was a lot of stuff going on there. And this time it was... A couple of cars from the local dealership. Right. And a easy up pop-up tent with some HPD stuff. Yeah. And the... Dyson had a better display. I was about to tell you Dyson had a better display than Honda did. So I was in there looking through the stuff and I made the offhand comment that obviously they had to have a garage sale to try to um, produce an engine that worked. And... When Michael got done snickering and the woman did not appreciate my comment, um, he said, well, remember, this is the this is the side of the engines that work for Honda. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was it had a really weird feel. But, yeah, we we never passed up an opportunity to say something about a Honda engine blowing up or ceasing to work. You know, yeah. basically when Fernando Alonso was driving it um, <laughs> anyway. By the way, if you're ever surfing around the Dyson site, you may catch a glimpse of the bird and the boy. Have you, have you found Did the video go up? I have not found it. Okay. Um, I don't know if it will ever happen, but um, I did something I've never thought I would ever do at a racetrack. Vacuum. I vacuumed. <laughs> um, I test drove uh, one of Dyson's new vacuum cleaners. It's ridiculously expensive and, and it's weird. But the hairdryer was cool. Um, I got to give bonus points for the hair dryer, um, but the the vacuum was a little weird. Um, I will freely admit that. But they were a sponsor, and I gave them a you know a good interview. Alas, anyway, back to dissing Honda. Well, McLaren is still undecided as to what they're going to do. They keep flipping that coin, going, <laughs> no, they're well, picking apart the flower. Stay with Honda, give up Honda, stay with Honda, give up Honda. That summer, I mean, it, it, it's big, big money involved if they walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, who are they going to get engines from? The initial thought was Mercedes. Mercedes said, yeah, we're not giving them an engine. Ferrari has said, they're not giving them an engine. So that leaves them with Renault. That leads Renault. Renault's not I mean they they've been kind of disappointing this year. So what? I mean that that's the question. Well, and Renault's engine has got this really weird dichotomy that's going on because their works team isn't doing that great. But their customer team in Red Bull is, which tells me that the engine is okay when combined with the right arrow. And we already know that McLaren and Honda haven't figured out how to work together to get the arrow and the and the engine working together. Well, you say that. But I will point out two things that happened in Hungary this past weekend. Are you going to talk about double points finish? Double points finish number one. And the person who got the fastest lap of the race was Fernando Alonso. Yeah, where did that come from? (laughs) Can we just stop and be real for a minute? Where did that come from? (laughs) 
I, yeah, they, that was weird. Now, I mean, granted, awesome for McLaren because while it's really sad that they're competing down at the bottom, it's really nice to see them ahead of Sauber. Yeah. For the first time all year. Um, so maybe they're figuring something out. Maybe it's going to be okay. But let's just walk down this path for a second okay. as we take a left turn to 92 other left turns. Um, let's pretend that McLaren does get a Renault engine mm-hmm. and, and dumps Honda. And they have this you know public breakup. And we know that Honda is not going to then get to ride in a Sauber because that deal got broken. Do we now have an engine without a car? Well, I wasn't going to get to that just yet because one other McLaren thing that you've got to wonder about is Fernando. Because Fernando has turned around and he has said outright he does not want to be with the team. He told the team, you have by September to win or I'm gone. Now, McLaren's turned around and said, we'll do whatever we can to hold on to him. But there's no way in hell that they're going to win Monza. I can't imagine them having a fighting chance in Spa. Singapore is going to be a stretch, but if they were going to win a race, Singapore is probably the last chance. But define win. I I, I realize you're looking at me like so, so, sweetie. So you're come saying on. that um, maybe double fastest points. fastest lap is a victory. And in, in, in given the lack of performance that they have had. Are they not better today, or did they not show that they could pull something out at Hungary that they've not done in years? Well, I, I think that's the thing, is if Honda can show that they have actually figured out how to rapidly pick up the pace of development in that engine, and they can fi- that they have figured out how to deal with their problems— maybe he would be willing to stay? Well, that's the thing, is if Hungary becomes a one-off, then the point is moot. Mm -hmm. But if Hungary leads to Spa, where they see something else, and maybe it's another double points finish, maybe it's another fastest lap, maybe it's qualifying in Q3 with some consistency. Given that we're talking Spa and Monza, I would think just having both cars finish the damn race. Also a big deal. But when Fernando says win in air quotes, there's a question as to what does that really mean given the reality of what's in front of him. And let's Mm -hmm. think that through. Because I don't think Fernando's a dumb guy. I'm I'm very honest about that. It's not a dumb guy. He just... He wants to see potential of being on a podium again. I get that. He deserves to have the potential waved in front of him. But if it's a matter of Honda can pull it together to show progressive and quick growth, he may be a little bit more open. And if not, I know that there's some uh, IndyCar teams that would probably bend over backwards and say, come on over. And, you know, that's one of the other questions is because I I know he would be welcomed, whether it's Andretti or pretty much any – IndyCar team on the grid would he go Chevy or would he go Honda given the experience that he's had I don't know 
because you and I both know that the Honda, the Honda of Indy is very different than the Honda Formula One. I don't know what his feeling would be, what the contracts would look like, but anybody would welcome him with open arms. I just would love to see it happen. I think it would be an awesome trade-off. And, and you know, I, I'm going to throw this message out to Honda Chief Masashi Yamamoto. Because he listens. If at Indianapolis your engine had not blown up, I would have bought, while we were at Mid-Ohio, I would have bought the Andretti McLaren Honda shirt. But, you were but because that- your engine blew up, I refused. Well, you were concerned that the uh, the shirt would spontaneously burst in flames. No, I wasn't concerned about it bursting into flames. I was afraid it would leak. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Yeah, leaking shirts are embarrassing. Yeah, so by the figure way, your crap out, man. By the way couple of merchandise things about IndyCar, which we did not hit in the top of the show, but you just mentioned it, so I must be reminded. Okay. Alexander Rossi's new logo, which is the circle, mm-hmm. loved it, thought it was adorable. Didn't buy the shirt because I still had my Alexander Rossi shirt from last year. Um, but I do have a minifig of Alexander Rossi now. Yeah, and you know, you know you have arrived when you get a min- when they make a minifig of you. Right. And guess who else has a minifig? Doug Bowles. Yeah. <laughs> New friend of the show. But Max Chilton does not. We went looking. Yeah, we asked. We asked We would have Max. gotten a Max Chilton minifig, but he didn't have one yet. By the way, have you sent out your congratulations on his recent nuptials? I have not. So there you go. Congratulations, Max, on getting married. Yes. Yes. To apparently his childhood sweetheart from like four years old. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that was the big news going into mid-Ohio, was that Max was going to get married after the race. Yes. That was the news. Well, they announced it when they did his driver announcement. Last yeah. weekend as a bachelor. Not everybody's bachelor party is an IndyCar race that they drive in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Um, but also picked up uh, die-cast models of both Max and Alexander's cars. And they are now proudly sitting on my desk at the office. And people think that that with the TARDISes that I have all over my desk <laughs> makes me in a new level of weird. Yeah. Everything that I love is on my desk in my office. I'm, I'm going to need to get you the orange McLaren car. Because, <laughs> oh, my God, it's orange. It's orange. Maybe to go with the red Ferrari car. Because, oh, my God, there's white. I know. <laughs> well, white will make the Ferrari go faster, as proven. Apparently. So, back to Honda. Back to because Honda. Your I'm telling you, 92 of, left turns this show. Your question of, well, okay, if McLaren walks away and gets a Renault, what next? Do we have well, like an engine sitting on the grid somewhere without well, a car? Well, here's the interesting thing. Apparently on Tuesday, Red Bull's helmet Marco had meetings with Masashi Yamamoto at Honda. What is helmet doing? Here's the thought process, and and it's an interesting one. Red Bull's been trying to figure out, and, and we've heard rumors about this in the past, Red Bull's trying to figure out what to do with the Toro Rosso team. Okay. You know, it is not the number one team. Yes, it is the development ground and the training ground for them to bring on drivers, but because it is not the number one team, finances have have always been a bit of an issue so here's the idea is that 
if McLaren walks away from Honda, Honda needs a works team. Honda pays McLaren something in the area of like $50 million a year. So Toro Rosso steps in as their works team. Hmm. McLaren gets Renault engines because Renault now has a supply of engines that is free because they were supplying Toro Rosso, but they don't need to do that anymore. So those engines go to McLaren. Honda gets Toro Rosso at $50 million a year, and Red Bull gets to sit back and watch what's happened with McLaren or, or with, with Toro Rosso and the Hondas because if all of a sudden Honda wakes up and figures it out, what Red Bull really, really wants to be is the works team for somebody. True. It's an interesting concept. Risky. Mm -hmm. But given the departure and the paint job that they did this year, it does start to look like the writing's on the wall that they really want to treat Toro Rosso like it's a different team. Yeah. And not just Baby Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting idea. Definitely has some level of merit. It also does allow for the thought process of how much of Honda's problems are Honda's and how much is aero dependent. Like, how much can you overcome with aero, too? But the issue with, and, and, and actually, Honda's problems are Honda's problems. Well, I understand. Because you can't address the performance and the, and, and the question of the aero. And obviously, um, when everything is working right, there's a fighting chance there because Fernando pulled a fastest lap. Mm -hmm. There there have been very few complaints from um, even Jensen and, and, and Fernando last year about the aerodynamics of the car. It has always been about the power that is coming out of those engines. And the fact that the, the hybrid system doesn't generate anywhere close to as much power as everybody else's with estimates that the engine itself has been down as much as 70 horsepower. I understand that the engine is down, but I don't believe that they are working together. I just don't. I think that there is a piece of the McLaren Honda process that is not marrying those two pieces together. Yeah, arguably. And I think that that's also part of their, their issues. So the other bit of news around Sauber, though, and a Ferrari matchup is that there are, rumors have come out that Ferrari is considering turning Sauber into a junior team. Now, we've heard similar rumblings come down about Ferrari and Haas because of the say, amount of equipment. I thought Haas was the junior team. But with Haas sending Esteban Gutierrez to the curb because he didn't do very well, it sounds like Haas then turned around and said, you're not foisting any more drivers on us. We'll pay more money. We don't care. Mm. Ferrari has realized that it doesn't really have a great channel for bringing drivers up. Now, granted, Ferrari is not a team that's known for taking inexperienced drivers to begin with. Right. But the word is that Ferrari is looking for a channel to develop drivers. So Sauber could be the potential candidate for that. Interesting. Especially since, you know, Sauber w was potentially going to have Honda drivers in the seats, and now that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. That, that could be interesting. 
Now, I, I do anticipate that Sauber can now count, now that they don't have Monisha on board, and they won't try to put four butts in two seats. We hope. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Like, you know, putting a modified uh, beach flip-flop on the front of a car. <laughs> or all the cars. Oh, my. To you that or you call it a Brazilian thong. I don't want to call it either of those things. I hate the thing. It is here. It is coming. Suck it up. Deal with it. It doesn't mean I have not going to complain about it. The FIA. Because it's ugly with a half, capital ugly. Well, the FIA has said that they're going to see how much that they can push the design of the halo. They, they, one of the things that they point out is that it does not have to be black. The teams can paint it whatever colors they want. They can have it blend in as much as possible. The center spar in the middle is going to, to get thinner by a couple of millimeters. So, you know, super noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing that the FIA has pointed out. You know out, what would improve the halo? Not having the halo. <laughs> <laughs> Making it disappear. <laughs> that would improve the halo. <laughs> The other thing that, that the FIA has pointed out is that um, the halo can be used as a point for placing cameras, whether down on the driver or in front. As a matter of fact, I think they're going to have to do it in front of the car because the other cameras that they were using for driver's view are probably going to be obstructed by the halo. Yeah. Um, but cameras can be placed in the halo as well. Still it's not like it. I don't have to like it. Well, there have been allegations this past week, or going into Hungary, that Formula One censored negative comments about the halo. Yeah, I felt very censored. No, what it was was the, the, the pre-race press conference. Um, both Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel were asked about the halo and, and the looks of it. When Formula One posted their two-minute video of all of the press conferences, there were no negative comments at all about the halo included in that, hmm. which has led to allegations that Formula One has censored negative comments. out. Now, Formula One, their position is, um, you know, it was only two minutes. The decisions and the edits that were made were done for editorial purposes, and that it wasn't to censor out the comments, but everyone says, you know, that's awfully suspicious that that thing that's what you chose to take out right interesting we shall see so there was a formula one race while we were in mid-ohio no there was there was and arguably it was a better race than any car race unfortunately sorry okay. joseph newgarden but when you walk away like that um I've seen lots of races that were more interesting than that particular IndyCar race. Um, I hate to say it. I mean, I enjoyed my experience at Mid-Ohio. Thoroughly had a good weekend. Um, but the that race itself was not the highlight of my weekend. No, it wasn't. Um, now, as you recall, going into this race, mm -hmm. all of the pundits said... Hungary, Lewis Hamilton, he owns Hungary. He's going to just run away with this. And the way Silverstone worked out, that the Mercedes cars just blew away the Ferraris. Ferrari doesn't have a chance. 
And this is where I get to say, I told you so. Because I said before the race, I'm not so sure I would run around and say that because Mercedes hasn't been strong in Hungary. Lewis hasn't been strong since driving at Mercedes in Hungary. And it's not the kind of track that Mercedes does particularly well on. Yeah. Well, you knew it was going to go south when they had qualifying. Yeah. And we had a Ferrari lock out of the front row. There was Mercedes lock out of the second row. Yeah. But, yeah, that that did not go well. Um, and then the race started. Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo, which, according to both of them, they're better now. And even Max they had has counseling. admitted. Well, no, even after the race, Max admitted that, yeah, he, he probably um, was in the wrong there and, and screwed up Daniel's race. Well, he definitely did. Now, do you think that Mercedes offered the naughty step to Red Bull? No, I think Red Bull has their own. Ah. I mean, look at the energy station. <laughs> yeah. They may have their own naughty step that they had to, like, expand and put Max on it. Max, you, you, you don't get to come to the party tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can stand outside and look through the window. Yeah. Yeah. That was not good. It is never okay to hit your roommate, your roommate, your teammate. Well, that too. You is never <laughs> okay to hit your teammate. It is even less okay to take your teammate out of the race. Yeah, especially in a fashion like that. Now, the 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 marshals they were really nice to make sure that they left a reminder in the spot that Daniel got knocked out for Max to see every time he came around. <laughs> there was a big pile of kitty litter there to soak up the the water. Yeah, that that was really that was a good move. I like that. Yeah, Max, this is for you. Um, Nico Hulkenberg and, and Kevin Magnuson, they're probably not going to be on each other's Christmas list card list this year. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I can understand. We we don't have the video of it. I have not figured out what outlet it was that was interviewing Kevin Magnuson when Nico Hulkenberg interrupted his interview to congratulate him on um, being the most, what was it, unsportsmanlike driver on the grid. And Kevin reacted barely negatively. Remember, this is a clean show. That's why I'm not saying what it was. Um, NBC did speak to... So if you did watch the NBC coverage, NBC spoke to Nico after that little incident. Mm. And uh, most of what Nico had to say was bleeped out. Whoa. Yeah. Now, does he have the same anger issues that Vettel has, you think? No. No. Um, Because he was relaying what Kevin had to say. Oh. So that's why most of what Nico had to say was bleeped out. Nice. So there was definitely some angst and anger further back in the grid. Um, however, from one step of unsportsmanlike behavior and teammates taking each other out, we have to focus on teammates that did the did the right thing. Possibly um, even putting his own world championship at risk yeah th- this was something and a lot of folks had commented lewis hamilton and trying to get ahead of um valtteri Bottas and possibly challenge Kimi raikkonen uh for 
second place, talk the team in, in the, the short period that they had working radios. Um, we'll get to that too in a second. But talk the team into allowing him to pass Nico and pro- uh, Valtteri. Valtteri and promising that if he could not pull the move off, he would let Valtteri pass. And uh, he couldn't pull the move off. And in the last corner of the last lap, he let Valtteri pass. Giving up three points in the championship to Valtteri. Now, one of the things that the team said is that um, if the radios were working, that pass would have happened earlier. Mm. They tried to have the conversation with him earlier, but because of the communications issues that they were having— could not get the word to him and could not hear any of his responses. So they were struggling with that. Mercedes had, did figure out what the issue was with their communications. They discovered in the pit wall a cracked fiber optic cable. Yes, I heard that it was an actual cable that was the problem. And it took out not just their radios, but they lost their telemetry and their video on what, as Toto Wolf calls, Fantasy Island. but yeah at the pit wall they lost 90 percent of their their communications so on one hand we have to say mercedes ran an incredible race given the fact that they could not communicate yeah given that the cornerstone of team sports that this is is communication they ran an amazing race with no communication oh absolutely so let's give them props for that but I want to go through this past thing because it is a it's a team orders thing. It's it, I get it, but the very fact that we saw two things occur that almost seem impossible to have occurred last year if we oh, it, we it would not have happened. One, we saw Valtteri give up the spot to Hamilton mm-hmm. and allow Hamilton the opportunity. Which I'm not entirely sure. Nico had... I, I think Nico Rosberg would have done that if, if something like that had happened. But we know... For, and, and it was even, I believe, in Hungary that the team told Lewis to give up a position to Nico so that Nico could get passed. And Lewis's response was, if he wants to pass me, tell him to get up here and let me pass and, and, and try and pass me because I'm not giving him the place. Well, okay, in Lewis's defense, and I know I Nico sound, was nowhere close. Le- Nico wasn't close to him. But when we saw Valtteri give up the spot, which, you know, that's a, 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 a team-focused mm-hmm. concept. But that last corner on the last lap, I mean, I don't even know, given their radio issues, if Valtteri was even expecting Lewis to pull over yeah. at that point. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. But the analysis of the two passes that were allowed, they said were absolutely textbook the way you do that to give up the spot like that. Actually, no. Valtteri was criticized for it. Really? Because Valtteri went so far off the line that he gave up more time than he needed to. What they said is that Valtteri should have let Lewis pass on the straight by lifting as opposed to going off the line in the corner. Uh, and that cost him more. They actually said that Valtteri was that did it what wrong. what pushed him back into Max? Yeah. Because he was a little concerned about getting pushed back into Max for a little bit. Yeah, they said Valtteri did it wrong. But Lewis, on the other hand... And... The thing that, I mean, first, I think that that shows incredible respect that Lewis has for Valtteri, and mm-hmm. I think that that's 
where they sit as a team in a better place in a more harmonious atmosphere. I think it also points to the fact that we're going to hear Valtteri's getting re-signed. Um, I think that all of those things are good. But one thing I will tell you is there was a lot of talk about, well, what if Lewis loses the championship by three points? They'll point back to this and say that was the, the whole thing. And you know something? I'm going to tell you what the pundits will say if Lewis loses by three points. They'll point to it, and they'll still say that that was the gentleman thing to do. Lewis yeah. will win more fans for having done that and gave up the championship. And in reality, if he loses that championship by three points, there will be more press about that than um, than Vettel winning it. He's got he's just won hearts by doing that. And that's what Lewis is amazing at. Well, there, there's one other thing, and I'm sure this was not in Lewis's calculation, but last year going into the break the points gap between nico and lewis was bigger than the current points gap between seb and lewis Mm -hmm. so and 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 it really wasn't until malaysia that lewis was all but mathematically eliminated right so yeah he's not out of it well, and while you're talking about not out of it, mathematically, Valtteri's not out of it either. True. Now, what I will say is I don't think the Ferraris are going to do well as in Spa, and I don't think they're going to do as well in Monza, as much as everybody is going to want them to do well in Monza. I think Hungary suits that team better. I think Ferrari will probably do pretty well and look pretty strong in Singapore because Mercedes has Mercedes has been struggling mightily in Singapore. Sometimes it's their own fault, but they have been struggling mightily in Singapore. Um, but I think the next three races, that's really going to be where it's going to be telling. And yeah. we're going to see w- what the future looks like, possibly Japan as well. I think that that I think you're right. I think that that's where we're going to start to see motion happen in this this battle. Um, but I think we have to go back to, and I don't want to dismiss this. Sometimes winning the world championship is the story, and sometimes it's how you did it. And I think that. One of the reasons that Lewis is such the superstar is that he pulls off these kinds of things every so often. He's never seen and never portrayed as the angry one. We've got Moody Lewis, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say that he doesn't get in his own head and screw up his own races sometimes, but... Vettel is getting an incredibly awful relationship as being needing anger management, not keeping himself under control, the cussing, the, the, the rawness of all of that is not boding well to his image as a world well, champion. See, and, and I was thinking about this the other day. If you truly think about what um, Seb has been like now, this year, in the last two or three years compared to what he was like driving for Red Bull, and you compare what Fernando was like driving for Ferrari, and now what he's like, as bad as that car is, what he's like over at McLaren, 
You think it's Ferrari. I'm kind of wondering if there's something at Ferrari that's breaking drivers, especially drivers who are promising and either should be or believe they should be contenders for a world championship. It's in the water. And I'm wondering if just the team itself breeds frustration and anger from these strong drivers. And that's why Fernando was the way he was over there, and that's why Seb has been the way he has been for the last, what, two years now, three years now? Because it's Ferrari, and Ferrari should be doing better, and Ferrari shouldn't be making these mistakes, and they are. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. So the other thing that we saw in Hungary, the return after four years of being in the cockpit of Paul DeResta. And this story is amazing to me. At five o'clock in the morning, he was ironing his shirt to go on air with Sky News. Yeah. And got the phone call because Massa got sick. Mm-hmm. Got the phone call. He is Williams reserve driver. But at 5 a.m., he was planning on going on air on Saturday and was handed the keys to here's Massa's car get in it and qualify boom yeah and there's there's been some some question as to just how much prep Paul had um I've seen some reports that said that he had spent some time in the simulator and I've seen other reports that said no the the first that he has experienced the 2017 cars was when he got in it for qualifying. Because Felipe drove the practices. Right. Um, I don't care whether Paul had sat in the simulator at all or that was the first time he ever sat in the cockpit. You've got to give that man credit for the 180-degree prep mm-hmm. to be able to do that. I mean, and I think Paul had even meant, and, and he's been driving in DTM for Mercedes, and obviously he won't be doing that next year. But he's <laughs> been dri- been driving in DTM since he lost his seat over at Force India. He has freely admitted that, especially going into this season, he's not training as hard because mm-hmm. um, you know the demands in, in DTM aren't quite the same. So he hadn't really been training to come back into a seat in Formula One. Um, it doesn't really sound like the team was fully ready for him because, you know, he was asked about the physicality of, of the race and, and whether or not, you know, how he felt coming out of it. And, and odds are he's probably going to be he, – he was sore coming the, the next day. He said, it's been quite hard. He said, I can certainly feel it in my shoulders, but the biggest thing is the feet. The shoes were a bit too small. He said his feet were killing him. Oh, wow, they didn't even have the right size shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you hope that they didn't try to squeeze them into Masa's shoes because you got to figure that Masa's significantly shorter than Duresta. I mean, I'm pretty sure he wasn't wearing his Sperry Dock siders to go drive the car. but <laughs> oh, I would hope not. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's the things you don't think about. I mean, he's a reserve driver. He's got to be ready on a moment's notice. But if they don't expect it, how much of his stuff is really with them? especially when in Paul's case he's a reserve driver but he's not a test and development driver 
So he's not in the car where, or in the simulator or doing all of the various duties in the paddock that we used to see Susie doing when she was their test and development driver. So it's not like she's prepared on a race weekend to hop in and do something. Yeah. So that's there's there's some of that. Not to mention the fact that he does reporting for Sky News. Sports. Sky Sports. So that was where his mind was at five mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning when he was ironing his shirt. Yeah. I mean he retired during at the towards the end of the race. I think he had an honorable effort. Um I'm sad well, for Williams. Th- he retired to be clear due to a mechanical issue with the car. Right. It was an oil leak that popped up. Um, everyone says that, uh, yeah, he was even though he was 18th and he only moved up a spot, given the fact that he had zero prep whatsoever, mm-hmm. it was a fantastic outing for him. Well, I'm going to say this. He probably did better with the zero prep than you would have done with zero prep. Fair enough. So, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, for all the fans that show up in the team shirt, you know, waiting to be called up just in case, I mean, Paul DeResta probably puts you to shame. I've got to wonder about the thoughts about Lance Stroll. It's interesting. I mean, yes, Lance outqualified him, but Paul was right up there. And Lance has had a lot of time in that car. Mm-hmm. And even when Lance wasn't in that car, he was testing in a two-year-old car. I mean, they have made sure that Lance gets a lot of time in Formula One cars. Paul DeResta really hasn't driven a Formula One car outside of maybe an exhibition piece done for Sky in four years. And he kept the pace. True. True. He was definitely within the 107%. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're very anti-stroll. I get it. Um, but I think it'll be interesting. I know Claire has been trying to keep an open mind to stroll, but I don't think that... I think he's come up too soon too fast. Yeah. At a minimum. Mm-hmm. So, there was the, the odd steering issue for seb yeah his steering wheel was not centered yeah so he was pulling he was steering to the right to go straight okay yeah didn't affect him all that much and kimmy felt that paul DeResta needed to go back to broadcasting he didn't want him there yeah that was a little rude kimmy i i, I think that he needs to apologize for that yeah whatever um Word came out, we will continue to see, not only will we continue to see the Hungaro ring on the circuit for the next couple of years, but after the race ends next year, the track is set to undergo major renovations of its facilities. Oh. Um, which I think makes the teams very happy. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they going to be taking out the, the Soviet-era listening devices, things of really? that nature. Yeah, you know, all of those things going to go away. How are how are they going to find, monitor the track without the Soviet area listening they're, they're devices? Gonna, they're going to find the remaining KGB agents that were hidden in the corners and, and, and sweep them out. Oh. Um, maybe replace them with air conditioning. 
But yeah, the track is set for a major revamp and renovation after uh, next year's race. Cool. And we're going to wrap with your favorite thing. There's so many favorite things. Tires. Ah. Tires are boring. Pirelli is uh, trying to make a decision on the number of compounds for next year um, with Mario Izola saying that he thinks it's likely that they're going to go up to six different compounds available for the teams. Okay. I don't know why. So does that that doesn't include the wets and the intermediates. Correct. And so we have hards, mediums, softs, super softs, and snuggle bears. And keep in mind, the teams have been so pissed off about the, the hards, we're not going to see them. So we're going to keep a compound that we don't actually make. Well, see, we don't know. What, what we know is for, uh, Pirelli struggled to figure out the compounds for this year and, and f- struggled to figure the, the composition of the, the construction of the tires because they didn't have a car that they could test with. Mm-hmm. So now they have much better information on the, the downforce and the G-loads that the cars are generating in order to make a better decision about what compounds to roll out. So in theory, the hard compound should be less hard than this year's hard compound. Okay. But one of the things that Mario Azzolo said is, is that, yeah, technically there were five compounds that were agreed upon to be rolled out. What they truly developed, though, for this year were 10 different compounds. So they had the ability that if they needed to and found out that a compound wasn't satisfactory, maybe it was wearing too quickly or it wasn't durable enough or something like that, they could swap it out with another compound. They had 10 approved compounds, but they only went with the five standards that were out. Now, my understanding is that there were stronger compounds, not weaker compounds, which is why, again, hard went away, and we're not going to see it at all this year. Okay. I, I just don't know if we need to go down to – if we need to go up to six. And, and I that's mean, like, is there going to be with. a super snuggle bear, like maybe, uh, you know – The mega ultra soft. I, I don't know. But, I mean, is this with the, the fuzzy tire? Well, well, well that's the thing. I mean, arguably – if you look at the performance even of the the ultrasoft at places like Monaco and some of the other tracks that we've seen it, even that has not degraded all that much. No, and I know that they're they're trying to ride this fine line. The high deg tires were so hated and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they've got a lower deg tire that's not as interesting because it's not degrading. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the medium is performing like a hard should, I mean, you're just not getting the the windows like you can um, on those tires. It's difficult. And I get that they're in a really bad spot. Um, I mean, nobody even likes the wet tires. So let's move. Well, that's the other thing that they really need to sort out is is the wet tires. And and, and I know it's, it's hard. You only run them maybe four races a year. But. But we got to get better at that. Yeah. Um, and I get that too. Um, so I wish, I mean, I wish them luck. I think that they're in a hard position and, but I don't necessarily think we need more. I think we need better of what we got. 
but it's tires, and you know how I feel about tires. Well, it's fine. It's all we got. I mean, it was a long show because we missed a week, and you know now we head off into Formula One summer break. So who knows what our next shows are going to look like. But here's the thing. We are really in the midst of true silly season. We are, which means either things can go completely haywire mm-hmm. or Ferrari signs Kimi Raikkonen and silly season once again gets dull and boring and sucks and nobody seems to really care because the factories are shut down. So who knows? And keep in mind, last year we predicted an amazing silly season. And we got let down. It was awful. And 70% of the seats were up for renewal or changing hands last well, week. Well, you know, the reality year. is when it comes to last year's silly season, and I get why he did it, but when it comes to last year's silly season, I lay the blame for that not being the crazy one that we needed squarely at Nico Rosberg's feet. Like that, we've come in a full circle. <laughs> <laughs> because if Nico had turned around and declared that he was leaving the sport by, oh, I don't know, Austin, it could have been really interesting. But because he waited till after the season when those contracts were finalized, it kind of dried everything up. Yeah. It was, it had the potential of being a big season, but people stayed in the spots that they were planning on staying in. And. It didn't. Things didn't move like they should have moved, and, and then we had the postseason silliness. And and the only thing that we can hope for really to chew this silly season up, and it's now looking shockingly like it's going to be unlikely, would be for Kimi Raikkonen to get forced out of his seat. And the word coming out of Hungary is that Ferrari is looking to once again sign him for another one-year contract. Seriously. After Walking into Silverstone and saying that he's a bit of a laggard. Now, oh, Kimmy's great, and we're going to go and sign him. See, that just proves your point. There is something wrong in the water at Ferrari. Yeah. And on that note, we should call it a show. Uh, it's a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.